The funeral industry plot, plots a rebrand. We're fun. I took the timeliness of that article published on the front page of the Wall Street Journal on Friday as confirmation that now is the time for this teaching. The article went on to explain that funeral homes are having a difficult time getting people to pre-plan their burials. Brandon Patterson, one of the funeral directors, said, I'm selling a product nobody wants, but ultimately everybody has to have it. As I said in my teaching, which I hope most of you were able to read this week, and if you weren't, I have some extra copies out in the narthex. It's a shame, and to the shame, of the clergy and the people of God, the laity, that we don't talk about the subject of death more. For we have something to say. Not, we're fun, but we have joy. Well, it's not natural to want to participate in the event necessitating Mr. Patterson and other directors' products. It's not discussing, in not discussing, rather, or preparing for death, we Christians miss a great opportunity to testify to our families and our friends. And indeed, when we do plan, we testify to them beyond the grave in our planning. For the gospel is in the midst of death. I want to look at three things this morning. Again, this is a shortened part of the teaching. We'll talk about these three things throughout the whole teaching. Number one, death, believe it or not, is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Number two, we have a God who has rescued us from death and hell. Avoidance of the subject bespeaks something which I've personally been thinking about a lot lately. And here's what I've been asking myself. Can I honestly join St. Paul in saying what he writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.13? That I do not grieve as one who has no hope? Can I honestly say that? The apostles go on to say, the Apostle Paul rather, goes on to say that the third point of this teaching is this. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. I'll say that again. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And it should shape not just our doctrine, our thought about death and burial, but it also should change our attitude towards it. And sadly, I see in myself and in many this is greatly lacking. But maybe it's because of a lack of understanding. So let's look at that first part. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Well, what is death? Death, technically speaking, is to cease to live. And by extension, to cease to be. To cease to live, to cease to be. There's two kinds of death. There's physical death, where a corpse that was once part of a person has ceased to be animated by the soul. And then there's a spiritual death, where the spirit of the soul, which is immortal, as the Bible says, experience what's called the second death. 
Jesus talks about it in Matthew 10:28 when he says, even without the certainty of salvation, I'm sorry, I, I looked at the wrong part of my glasses. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 10:28 where he says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Even without that assurance of salvation in Christ, the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates knew this well. That is, to fear him who can kill the soul as well as the body. You remember, perhaps from your education, that Plato famously writes two dialogues called the Apology and the Phaedrus. And in those dialogues, Socrates reasons that it's better to die and keep a righteous soul than to go on living as an unjust, unrighteous man. Again, years before Christ came. To be unrighteous or to have an unjust soul is worse than death. And the Bible agrees. An unrighteous soul leads not only to the first death, the physical death, and the destruction of the body, but what Jesus talks about when he says, fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul. And Revelation calls the second death, or hell. As Christians, we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The death of the death that St. Paul is speaking of here in Romans is not just physical death, but spiritual death too. The wages of sin, that is, the product of sin, the payment of sin, leads to a ceasing of biological life. A tragic fact that taints all flesh. But it also leads to the ultimate ceasing of spiritual life, which is in the Greek zoe versus the word bios. Bios is the word we get biology from. Zoe is an altogether different word for life. It's a type of fullness of satisfaction. And so the absence of that is the second death. In Revelation 21, verse 8, St. John the Divine writes, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So that's the bad news. The death is worse than most people think. It's not just the ceasing of your physical life, but it's also, without Christ, the entryway to hell. And that's not how most people think about it. But that's not the end of the story. Thanks be to God. But rather, there's more. That rather than an eternity of pain and dissatisfaction and despair after the ceasing of physical death, Jesus has intervened. Jesus has intervened. You see, here's the problem. 
if you don't take death seriously and hell seriously, you can't take salvation seriously. You can't have one without the other. The whole sentimental, all dogs go to heaven spirituality of the postmodern American era is all wet. And it's not reality. And yet it's what most people come to by default. And it's what funeral homes peddle as the reality. Think about some funerals you've gone to where the person is eulogized and you know that person was rotten. If you read my teaching, one of my pastor friends talks about this, right? He attended his father's funeral. And during the funeral, they passed around the microphone and everyone said how wonderful this man was. And my pastor friend sat there thinking to himself, no, he wasn't. He abandoned us when I was young. He left my mother for another woman. He was a rotten man. But later in life, he repented, this pastor's father, and trusted in Jesus. And it's that, not the fact that he was somehow a good man or well-respected, that gained eternal life for him. That sentimental type of spirituality is garbage, friends. And it's worse than garbage. It's damning. Because it numbs people to the reality of their immortal soul and where it might be going. Do you know that you're on probation? Do you know that you're on probation? Some people that are familiar with the legal system are more familiar with probation than others. But what is probation? Well, there's two definitions. The first is the release of an offender from detention subject to a period of good behavior under supervision. The release of an offender from detention subject to a period under supervision. The second is a process or period of testing or observing the character or abilities of a person in a certain role. And so we use it both for the person let out on probation, and we also use it talking about new employees, right? You're on a probationary period. You're, a, you're, you're being observed, right? Both apply spiritually. In the first sense, humanity's been released from eternal death for a period, ever since Adam and Eve sinned. You see, the whole thing could have come, and by right, should have come to a close, right there and then, with Adam and Eve's sin. The wages of sin is death. But we're on probation. And how is humanity doing? Let me ask you. You read the papers, you read your scroll, your scroll through the internet. How is humanity doing? Not well. An understatement. How are you doing? How are you doing? If we're honest with ourselves, if we were left on our own, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. We're done. The probation should have been pulled long ago. The reality is that we've been given this time that we might embrace Christ and not ignore death. Memento mori. 
Remember that one day you shall die. One of my favorite English idioms is whistling past the graveyard. Have you ever heard that one? He's whistling past the graveyard. What's it mean? It means that he's truly scared underneath, but he's trying to hide it as he walks past the place of the death. Don't whistle past the graveyard, friends. For one day, you too will be there. And don't indulge such thinking about death with relativism, that somehow your belief is what sets reality. That's another thing our culture does, right? Somehow, if I don't believe in it, it's not a threat. You've probably heard people say things like this, well, my God wouldn't send someone to hell. Well, who cares? It doesn't matter what you think God's going to do. What matters is what God does. (laughs) Or, I don't believe in a judgment. Well, that's great. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm a good person. God won't condemn me. Oh, really? Should we draw up that chart, that list, and weigh the good and the evil by God's measure? There's lots of people worse than me. They're first in line. Does that matter? You see the foolishness of it. We just heard in the service the Dies Erae, the Dies Erae before the Gospel reading. Human, human beings, Christians, and pagans alike need to be reminded that the day of wrath, the day of judgment comes. And it will bring terror for some. That's the reality. And it will bring reward for others. That too is the reality. Physical death, friends, ends the probationary period. When we die, the time is up and the opportunity of salvation is past. Now is the day of salvation. Theologian Francis Hall writes, even those who seem immune, whose consciences are deadened beyond hope, die without hope. The sting of despair is not less real in their case because they've schooled themselves to it. For at best, themselves being frequent witnesses, they contemplate total darkness instead of the glorious light of eternal life, which they were intended by God to enjoy. In brief, it's the penalty of sin that the sadness of death and parting of ended opportunities has become a reason, a terrifying entrance upon judgment and final condemnation. The awful thought is engendered. It might not have been, and hope, as well as the body dies. There's no second chance. Death is the end of probation. But, of course, there is great news. And that's that Christ saves us both from physical death and spiritual death. That if we hold to Christ at the end of probation, we will be saved. And we will come to the judgment with Him as our advocate. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life the abundant life of Zoe as well as Bios. But God's gift of eternal life comes at a cost and through a particular person. 
through Jesus and His death on the cross. And that person says that you must believe in Him as the Son of God, follow Him, and further, by His grace, keep His commandments, he says in John's Gospel. So the burial rite begins with what declarations? I invite you to look at it with me. And then we'll end this section. What does the burial rite start with after the introit? Jesus speaking, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. I know that my Redeemer liveth, says Job. For none of us liveth to himself, says St. Paul. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, says St. John. What's the testimony of the church to death? The death does not have the final word. And so, friends, at this point, because it's not a sermon, I want to ask you, what are some things that you've seen going on imagistically and through the service thus far, beyond what I've highlighted for you? How does the Christian come to death? How does the Christian experience the death of others? And I'll take questions. You can ask me about anything that you've seen so far, we've read so far, we've heard so far. You see, liturgy is supposed to teach us, right? What's it teaching us here? make some observation. It's, it's okay. Yes, Mr. Sasser. Um, well, the congregation doesn't always not sing on the entrance. Sometimes we do sing a hymn entering in. But uh, we heard an introit today which is receiving the word of the Lord, right? Actually, even if we didn't have the introit, we would hear the sentences first and then sing if we did a hymn. And that does tell us something. It tells us that the Lord is speaking to us in the midst of what's going on. So if this was truly a funeral, the first thing we do is we hear from God, right? We hear from the, the witness of the church, um, on the entry right, there are some other things. Did you notice there's no incense? There's no incense. Why is that? Well, because we're, we're mourning. This, is, this part is not celebratory. This part is grieving. Right? And so it's simpler. Yeah. That all goes together, the entry right. If, and if this was truly a funeral, the casket and the family would come in with the cross and the clergy too, which also says something, right? That the dead are part of the church. The dead are part of the church. Yeah, Allah.
Well, the question is, why is the Paschal candle there? Well, when a layperson is buried, the feet go towards the altar and the head goes towards the back of the church. The Paschal candle is placed at the head. There's a lot going on there, actually. (laughs) There's something else going on. Let me come back to the Paschal candle. And that is that anybody who's buried has the pall put over their over their casket. The pall. The pall symbolizes the fact that we are clothed in Christ. It has a cross on it. And that in entering paradise, we go through Christ to it. The Paschal candle, of course, is the light of Christ, right? It's the Easter candle also. Right? That's the other name for Paschal, right? It's the Easter candle symbolizing that in Christ, the person, though he's dead, yet shall he live. So it's reminding us that's not the final destination. <laughs> Death has been fu- swallowed up in victory. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Yes. Any other questions? Is it different for clergy? <laughs> yeah, it's actually different from clergy. Clergy actually go sideways because they serve the congregation as well as the Lord. Is the thought. Yes, do it. At what point does spiritual death come? Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. The answer is <laughs> it comes it comes to us a lot, as a matter of fact. So, you know, the Bible teaches that we're conceived in sin. And so death right from the beginning is there, spiritually speaking. Now When we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes into us and starts regenerating us, giving us life, right? Bringing us back from that spiritual death. But um, every time we sin, there's a little spiritual death going on in us, which is why we have to confess our sins and come before Christ to receive his pardon, right? That's the restoration, as well as a wiping clean the slate. So are you asking about the second death particularly? When does the second death come? Uh, The second death comes after the final judgment. So there's thought to be two judgments. Um, The first judgment happens immediately, and it's a private judgment. Scripture says that our deeds are weighed. I think I have that as part of my second teaching here. Yeah. 2 Corinthians... 5.10 says that we will appear before the judgment seat, all of us, to receive what is due for what was done in the body, whether good or evil. And Romans 2.6 says we will render each one according to his works. And Revelation 20 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, and it was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, and each one of them according to what they had done. So the second death comes after the final judgment. After the final judgment, which Jesus talks about in Matthew, right? The sheep and the goats. That's the final judgment. 
So at the end of time is when the second death. Those, some go on to their eternal reward and others go on to their eternal punishment. Good question. Anybody else? All right, well, why don't we continue then by standing and saying together, and note this, not the Nicene Creed, but the Apostles' Creed. <laughs>